So in the lectionary sections this week, I find it interesting. Some of you know a few weeks ago I was preaching at a family camp, uh, a conference, where my theme was from Hebrews, and the verse was, live at peace with everyone, and be holy, for without holiness it is impossible to see God. That was my theme, that was my verse. I had to preach four times on that one verse alone. And the Lord started to work in me, like I knew this a few months back. So as I was preparing, it's as though the Lord was putting me in a situation where that was being tested. And uh, I've talked to you often about forgiveness. And uh, there was a number of different things that were going on. Now, in speaking on forgiveness, you know that in my life, I had the opportunity to forgive others. I had the opportunity to step into that place where uh, I had to be stretched to forgive others. One of those areas was when I was praying for a Turkish brother. Some of you know this story. I prayed for a Turkish believing brother for many years, and it was about eight or nine years, and there wasn't meeting anybody. And then at this one conference, it was 120 or so people that were invited to this conference. It was invitation only. So the people that were there were sort of filtered. They were vetted. So I knew that whoever is there was a good believer. And we met a Turkish believer. Silva and I were there, and we met this Turkish believer. And uh, through the night, we started to talk. And we discovered some very interesting things about each other. It turns out that his great-grandfather was the commander of the Turkish army responsible for killing the Armenians of my village or my town, my city. And my great-grandfather was either the mayor or the judge at that time. So this young man that I met was now in tears. He says, our family lines have crossed before. Would you please forgive my great-grandfather for what he did to yours? Because I know if your great-grandfather was in that position, mine would have had to be there to witness his killing or kill him himself. And now it's becoming real because in my mind and in my spirit, I had already forgiven Turks. I had forgiven Turkey. In my mind and in my spirit. In my heart. But now I'm face to face with this young man and all I begin to see as he's talking to me is a brown uniform with a belt with the shells for the gun, a fez and the Turkish mustache curled. And he doesn't look like that, but that's what I'm seeing him as when I'm looking at him. And all of a sudden he's asking me, would you please forgive me? And as I'm processing that, I realize... Yeah, I have already forgiven you. And he says, no, 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 no. Not forgiven Turks. Forgive me individually. Me personally. My great-grandfather personally. Forgive us. Remove the curse from us. So obviously I forgave him. And uh, then he tells me the story of his great-grandfather and how he became a spiritual leader. Not a uh, mullah or a priest but a person who was revered because he had changed his life 
through a, a contact with God through an Islamic poem. So he connected with God at that level and his tomb now became a very holy place. Now, I processed all of this and uh, recently, just before this conference that I was speaking at, it was this young man's birthday. And uh, all of that encounter came rushing back. And I thought, you know, I had the opportunity to go to that man's, the great-grandfather's tomb. And it's a shrine with a fence. And I had to stand there, and I, I wanted to, and bless the great-grandfather, forgive him and his family, forgive the soldiers, forgive, 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 and bless. And at the same time, I didn't process much more than that at that time because I was just wanting to forgive. But now, years later, that was 2015, Years later, eight years later, I prayed for eight years for a Turkish brother, now it's eight years later. Uh, all of a sudden, it was this young man's birthday. And I remembered all of this. And I thought, I wonder how his great-grandfather's story is. He has died in the late 80, uh, 1989, I think it was. So I looked him up. And boy, oh boy, I found all kinds of stuff. He's still being honored they still have parades in his name. They still go visit his tomb and make it look better. And all of a sudden, as I'm preparing for holiness, to speak to this church camp on holiness, all of a sudden I find these emotions and these feelings inside of me that are different than forgiveness. I was angry. And I was thinking, my great grandfather, I can't go visit his tomb. But this killer, who I've forgiven, has a shrine. They have parades for him. And I got angry. And I started to feel, he doesn't deserve this. He did the same thing, by the way, in 1937 with Kurds. He doesn't deserve this honor. And all of a sudden, these emotions rose up inside of me that says, I have forgiven him, but Lord, it's just not right that he would have this honor. I don't know if you can relate to that yourself, where you've been in a situation where someone has hurt you, and uh, you have forgiven, but now your heart is getting crushed every time you see the honor that they receive. My theme today is on these two words. You can't see them again. Forgiveness and accountability. Now, forgiveness cuts two ways, right? We can think of forgiveness as me being forgiven, and we can think of forgiveness as me forgiving. So, from the lectionary, I told you we're going to get to the lectionary, Let's get to our first passage, and that's from Romans. Paul is writing to a group of believers in a setting in Rome. Now, who are these Romans? They're not just Romans. He's writing to actual Jews living in Rome and other Gentile believers who have now come in to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. So the group that he's writing this to are old-time traditional Jews that have become 
followers of Jesus and non-Jews that were pagan that used to go to the temples and offer sacrifices to idols that have now come into the church. So as he's writing this, there's a situation in Rome, in the church in Rome, where there's an argument. And the argument is, should Gentiles keep kosher? And should they keep the Sabbath? What would you expect? They're now coming into the religion this faith called the faith of the way. It didn't have a name Christianity. It was basically Judaism with its Messiah who came. So the Jews that were there couldn't imagine a shift from the tradition of Moses of eating kosher food and not eating non-kosher food. In the law of Moses, there's multiple commands. I think it was 613 commandments or, or conditions that they had to live by. Many of those have to do with how they eat because eating is an example of the expression of the heart and holiness and what you take in and what you don't take in. And many of those things are not eating or drinking food or beverages poured out or killed for idols. Maintain purity. So now, all of a sudden, these Jews are in Rome, and they have no idea what the butcher is selling. Is this meat from the temple that was for Diana, or for whatever other god, or whatever? And all of a sudden, these meats are brought into the marketplace, and they don't know what they are, so some of them abstain from meat entirely. Just to be sure that I'm not going to put unholy meat into my mouth. Others don't know if the wine that's being sold at the grocers or the, I guess it would have been RCBO, the Rome, uh, or the Liquor Control Board of Rome, LCBR. And uh, they had no idea what the, the vintage was, but they could have been poured out at the altars of the temples of these idols. So they decided, you know what, we're not going to drink this, we're not going to do that. Oh, and we have to worship on the Sabbath. Yeah, but Jesus was raised on the first day, which is Sunday. Well, it's okay. They can do that in Rome, but here, uh, in, in Jerusalem, but here we want to worship on Sabbath. And there is these arguments that develop between the Roman Jews and the Roman Gentiles. And the Jews feel entitled because they have Moses in the temple. And they want to impose their tradition on the Gentiles. And there is this conflict that's arising. But Peter, the apostle Peter, the right-hand man of Jesus, saw a vision where a tent came down and God tells him, kill and eat. He goes, nothing unclean or unholy has ever entered my mouth, touched my lips. He says, kill and eat. So God was changing the rules. It wasn't that the law of Moses was bad, but it served a, a purpose of pointing out the process of sanctification or the process of becoming holy or the process of coming into the presence of God to be sanctified, to be made holy. In other words, it showed Jesus on the cross. So as it was doing that, that law now has been fulfilled in Jesus. So God says, kill and eat. Everything is holy. Don't call unclean what I have called clean. So now the conflict is still there in Rome. 
some of the Jews are still pushing hard to maintain kosher, the law, but they have been set free from the law. And, and Romans, the book of Romans, Paul breaks that down so beautifully. Go spend some time and read it. So now we come to chapter 15 and he says, Welcome those who are weak in faith. Now he is appealing to all of them. He's writing to all of them. So wherever you are, chances are you think you are strong in faith. Whether you are a Roman who believes that you should not, or you, you're a Roman Jew that believes you should not drink or eat meat, or you're a Gentile Roman who says, I can eat anything I want. Whatever your faith is and you feel strong in it, he's saying to you, welcome those who are weak in the faith. In other words, welcome the other. Because you think so highly of your own position that you feel that you are strong in faith. So welcome the other. If you perceive them to be weak in faith, if you perceive them to be lower than you spiritually, if you perceive them to be less mature than you, welcome them. But not for the purpose of quarreling over your opinion. Don't welcome them so that you can engage them in a debate don't welcome them so that you have the opportunity to correct them. Don't welcome them so that you can beat them over the head with the truth that you think you know better. Welcome them. Some believe in eating anything. Who? Some of the weaker ones. While the weak eat only vegetables. So those that are weak... Let me, let me rephrase this. If you are strong because you're a strong Jew, all of a sudden he flipped the tables on you. He said that the weak only eat vegetables. The weak are the Jews that are keeping kosher and don't eat meat. Remember Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego? When they were not eating the meats offered to the idol or to the king? Same idea. So he flipped the table. Those who eat must not despise those who abstain. And those who abstain must not pass judgment on those who eat. For God has welcomed them both. God has welcomed them. Who are you to pass judgment on the slave of another? It is before their own Lord that they stand or fall. And they will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Some judge one day to be better than others. And today we have in the church a group of people known by the Seventh-day Adventists that hold to the tradition of worshiping the Lord on Sabbath. I bless them. I have nothing to say bad about them. Some of them are such amazing believers, solid faithful Christians that will sacrifice their life for others in such amazing ways. They don't worship on Sundays like we do. And maybe there's something good out of that. Maybe some of us can go visit them on Saturday and worship with them and then invite them Sundays here for the purpose of just fellowship. Not to convert them or not for them to convert us, but for us to recognize that, hey, listen, we've interpreted it differently. It's okay. There's no right and wrong on these things. There is a right and wrong about who Jesus is. And that's foundational. While others judge all days to be alike. Well, we talk about a lifestyle of worship, but we get together on Sundays nonetheless. A lifestyle of worship is worshiping every day. Those who observe the day, observe it for the Lord. And those who eat, eat for the Lord. 
since they gave thanks to God, while those who abstain, abstain for the Lord, and they give thanks to God. For we do not live to ourselves, and we do not die to ourselves. If we live, we live for the, to the Lord. Whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, so that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother or sister? Now, who's your brother and who's your sister? Some have debated this point and said, we should not pass judgment on each other in the church because he's saying brother and sister. But outside the church, it's fair game. And some have said, no, 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 uh, we are to judge the world in the coming age, so we shouldn't be judging the world now. Or we shouldn't be judging each other. In the you know what, brother and sister? I don't know if he's talking about believers or unbelievers. I'm talking about anyone. I think he's talking about any other human being. Why do you pass judgment on others? Or why do you despise your brother or sister? So when I saw what I saw online about this great-grandfather who had now become an honored person, in my heart, the emotions, the feelings, the thoughts that were brewing in my heart, I asked you, have you been in a situation where you forgave someone who wronged you and now they're being honored? They're given rank, title, position, elevation, promotion, but you still are in your own corner. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, and we just finished singing this, every knee will bow, shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. Everyone, whether you think you're better than them or they think they're better than you, whether they've wronged you or they've righted you, whatever the case, all of us will give this confession that he is God and every tongue will praise him. So then, each one of us will be held, oh, these words, each one of us will be held accountable. So I'm accountable to how I feel about this great-grandfather. I am accountable to God about my feelings towards my enemies. I am accountable. So let's summarize what we see Paul writing in this passage. In Romans 15. I'm sorry, it is 14. I don't know why I put 14, uh, 15 on the... Uh, thank you for that. I'm sorry if I lost you. Don't judge me. You know why I say that? Because God alone is the perfect judge. You know, I, I could tell you that I set it up that way so that we have this moment. But no, I didn't. <laughs> no, I didn't. God alone is the perfect judge. And we are each and every one of us is accountable to God. What are we accountable to God for? He's talking here to Roman believers. 
and he's telling Roman believers, don't judge. Because judgment is only reserved for God. God is the only, and we're all slaves of God, he said. Who are you to judge the slave of another? So when we come to the relationships all around us, he's telling us, don't judge. Because God is the only one who judges. You are not aware enough. You don't have enough information. You don't have enough facts. You don't have enough depth of vision into the future or into the past to know what God has been doing in the life of this person to know how to judge them fairly and rightly. Judgment belongs to God. So we are not to judge others. That makes it a lot easier in life, you know. But we don't function that way because we are programmed. We are programmed to judge. Yesterday I went shopping to Canadian Tire. I had to pick up a couple of things. And I don't know why, but this Canadian Tire is a big one. Uh, the aisles got narrower over time. Or maybe the carts got wider. I don't know. But I was walking... And the aisle that I needed to go to, there was this young couple. And they looked so happy to be there, wanting to figure out what to buy. And, uh, you know, she was pointing to, uh, what do you think about this one? And what about that one? And I thought, oh, my God, they're so entitled. And I just wanted to just ram my cart into her by accident. And then I thought, oh, no. You don't know what their story is. Maybe her arms are in pain. Maybe she just needs to use her legs because she was in, she was in, in, a, in a jumper, like in a sweats. So I thought, okay, let it be. And then this other person comes in with a cart, looking straight and looking like she owns the place. And she's just walking, 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 bang, into my cart. And my cart switches over and almost went, hit that other girl with the foot. And I thought, oh my God, what is going on in this world since COVID? Everybody's gone crazy. And then I thought, oh. anyway, I wanted to get away from them. So I turned my cart. And as I turned my cart, boom, it hit something. And I thought, ah, thank you, Lord. Uh, who am I to judge? I just called them entitled. And you, you were all okay with that. You were laughing at that. None of you said, hey, 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 don't do that. That's judging. But we do that. It is so natural for us to think these thoughts about people. Yesterday, or yesterday, this morning downstairs during our time of prayer, uh, the room was dark. So I turned one of the lights on. And uh, Salpi made a comment. And, uh, and, and the comment was, oh, now that the light is on, we can see the, the, the clutter in the corner there. And I said, well, that is no judgment. Then she goes, no, 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 it's not judgment. It's a statement of fact. <laughs> so, and boy, have I used that line many times with Silva, with the kids, with others. No, 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 I'm not judging you. I'm just stating what I see as fact. <sighs> have you ever done that? Even if you haven't said it out loud, you've done that in your heart, I'm sure. I've done it many times in my heart. But he says here, don't judge others. You know what he also said in that passage, Paul? He also said, don't despise others. I may forgive them, 
but I still despise them. Have you seen what they have done? Oh, they were so bad, but God has been gracious to me that I have forgiven them, but I can't stand them. And you know the world has caught on to the benefits of forgiveness. The benefits of forgiveness cut both ways. You can attend seminars today that will guide you through the process of inner peace through releasing and forgiving all around you. Breathe works where you learn how to breathe to be able to, and I'm not poo-pooing it, it's, it's amazing stuff, but yoga to be able to release the tensions inside so that you can come to the place where you can release and be at peace. That's wonderful, but it doesn't solve the relational problem. You can be at peace and still think that they're jerks. You can be at peace and still despise them and hate them. You can still be at peace internally, but as soon as you see something good happen to them, your anger and your blood pressure goes up. Now, is that real peace? Is that resolution? Or is it just a mask? We're to leave the judgment to God. God alone is the perfect judge. Paul tells us this perfectly. Who are you to judge others? And each of us will be judged by God. So we should not judge and we should leave the judgment to God. But Jesus was approached by uh, his disciples and, and, and Peter comes to him one time and he says, Lord, if my brother in another church sins against me, oh no, he didn't say that. In the church we have this habit of running into conflict with other Christians and then taking off to another church. But we don't resolve it. I've seen that in the Armenian community and people play church musical chairs and then end up in one of two big churches, People's Church or uh, Bayview Glen, and they hide there for a while and they never resolve issues. And it's not just Armenians, it's in many cultures. Iranians do the same. Oh, so-and-so, Shaban, so-and-so. Or the elders there. Oh, I'm so happy here. You guys are amazing. Oh. How many times do I forgive my brother? He doesn't save from another church. I'm adding that. How, long do, how many times do I have to forgive my brothers or sisters? If my brother or sister sin against me, how often should I forgive them? As many times as seven? Jesus said to them, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. I want to talk about that a little bit. 77 times to forgive your brother. Keep that in the back of your mind, because Jesus goes on and he opens this up and he says, for this reason, the kingdom of God may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. Paul knew what he was talking about when he said that you're somebody else's slave, or you're somebody's slave, and he, somebody else's, this other slave of God, you should not be judging. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him, and he could not, as he could not pay, the Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and children and all his possessions, and payment be made. So the slave fell on his knees 
before him, saying, have patience with me. I will pay you everything. And out of pity, the Lord, uh, out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him his debt. Now, our debt, we can never repay. Our debt, no matter how many times they sold me and my wife, my kids, my grandkids, I would never be able to pay my debt to God. I can't. That's why it took Jesus coming, dying on the cross to pay the debt for every one of us. Nobody can pay that. But at the same day, the same slave who was now forgiven, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. How many did he owe his master? Do you remember? 10,000. 10,000. Talents. There were many more denarii than a talent. And seizing him by the throat, he said, pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, have patience, we not, I will pay you. Unlike his own master, he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to the Lord all that had taken place. Now, I don't know why they were tattletaling. That's a different discussion. But I think our boss, our slave master, the one who redeemed us and made us as slaves of righteousness, he doesn't need anyone to tell him. He knows. So there's no need for tattletaling. But in the story here, Jesus says, they went and told the master. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? Remember that sentence. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to, the to-, to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. We could never pay our entire debt. So my heavenly father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother and, or sister from your heart. Jesus threw that curveball at the end. We saw this already. Right? God alone is a perfect judge. We got this from Romans. We are not accountable. We are each accountable to God. We are not to judge others. We are not to despise others. But now in the story in Matthew, which was spoken out to the people in, Jer- in Israel before Paul wrote Romans, maybe by about 20, 30 years. And he probably read it in the Gospels. Paul did. So not only are we not to judge others, but we're also to forgive them. Now it's getting a little bit tougher. It's getting a little bit more complicated. And Jesus actually told us that, tells us that true forgiveness is from the heart. So as I was preparing for this conference that I was going to speak at on holiness, and I saw those video clips of this great-grandfather that was being lifted up, even though in my mind and in my heart I had forgiven, it's not a one-time thing. 
Forgiveness is not seven times. It's 77 times, or 70 times seven, depending on which portion of scripture you read. But it had to do something that I had to revisit. And many times, whoever has wronged you, that wrong is not over. That wrong has never been dealt with fully. And there are, chances are, you are still feeling wronged. And you're going to have to constantly, from your heart, repeat the forgiveness. Do you think that that's unique to us? And God is imposing that uniquely to us? He's trying to get us to understand how he has dealt with us. We have constantly wronged God. To this day, you and I wrong God. We wrong one another for sure, but we wrong God. We don't give him what he deserves. In Malachi, there's a very interesting chapter on Malachi uh, chapter 3 where he talks about how we can rob God. You know that if you don't tithe, you're robbing God. What? I thought that was all Old Testament. Well, this was before the Old Testament. This was before Moses that people were tithing. The tithe was an example that he gave to the Adam and Eve, where out of their own sacrifices, they would bring an offering to God. Out of their own harvest. That's a different conversation. I'm not going to delve down into that. But think about it. You are, all of us are cheating God somehow. But he is constantly coming back and forgiving us with his whole heart to the point that he actually died for us. He didn't just say, I forgive you, infinito, khalas, lim, He actually came down on earth, took upon himself flesh, went to the cross, shed his blood, released life so that you and I can have life. He shows us this over and over again. And now he's seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. So are you ready to step into that? Are you ready to make a commitment before God today to obey him and to say to him, Lord, I will not judge others. Are you ready for that? You don't need to stand. You don't need to do anything. But in your heart, answer the question. Are you ready to take it a step further? Not only not judge, but to forgive. The only way that I have discovered to learn that is this next point. And it starts off in this whole passage in Matthew, starts off with the question, how many times when my brother or sister sins against me, how many times? Do you know what how many times implies? How many times implies that that person and I are back into the space, into the situation where they can hurt me again? If they can't hurt me again, there's no need for many times. It's done. I've forgiven them. And that's what the world is teaching us today. For your inner peace, forgive. But separate. Have nothing to do with them anymore because they're toxic. They're going to teach you or they're going to keep hurting you. So protect yourself. Get away from that relationship. Separate yourself so that you can remain at peace. But that's not what the implication here in Matthew that Jesus and Peter having this dialogue talk about. True forgiveness is not only from the heart, but true forgiveness commands, demands 
requires that you place yourself back into the situation where you can be hurt again. Now, okay, I'm not stupid. I will not put a couple in a situation where if there's an abuse going on, where the man could abuse the wife or the wife can abuse the husband until the peace is brought back into the relationship. I would not put someone into that situation and expect that the husband would kill her, for example. That requires a temporary separation for cool down. And I understand that we have a legal system that helps resolve conflict. So I'm not saying that lawyers should not exist or should only talk about reconciliation. We have justice in this world. But I'm talking about the attitude of our heart. To posture ourselves to be in a position where that person can hurt me again. I'm not saying don't go after your rights and don't pursue legal channels to do what you need to do. That's not my message here. My message is on your heart. Is your heart and your life in such a way that you are opening yourself up to be hurt again? Jesus actually puts it this way in Matthew 5. So when you're offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go first and be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come offer your gift. Paul in 2 Corinthians says, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us now the ministry of reconciliation. So pause for a second. How did God reconcile us with Christ? He came down and he became the sacrifice for the reconciliation. So when he says here that in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself and he has given us the ministry of reconciliation, that means he has given us the opportunity to step into the same kind of demonstration of forgiveness that he has. To step into the same place where we demonstrate self-sacrifice for the sake of forgiveness. I know this is tough medicine. I know you've heard it many times from me on this pulpit. And this is my life story. But what we committed to as a leadership brings us to the place where this is now the verses that we need to address. So I could have decided, you know what, I don't want to touch it. I'll preach something else. There was other scriptures. But I thought that the Lord wants us to hear this again. We're always being tested in this. We're going to continue to be tested in this. Because this is the litmus test. This is the test of the character of Christ being formed in us. You're going to say, what about money? Yes, money is another one. How you handle your money asks, answers the question, is he Lord of all or not Lord at all? How you handle forgiveness answers the question, is he Lord of all or not Lord at all? And that's where we started today. We are worshiping him, recognizing him as Lord of all. So as ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us, God is making his appeal to the world through us, which is what? Be reconciled to God. But how can his ambassadors speak that if they are not? reconciled themselves to God and to one another. No authority there. If we're not walking in reconciliation, if we're not walking in forgiveness, if we're not walking in non-judgment, if we're not walking in non-resentment, we have no authority to tell the world anything about the reconciliation of Jesus to the world, to the Father. 
So let's stand up. And as we close, think of these words. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slaves, slave, as I have mercy on you? Father, you search our hearts today. Find what's in our heart that needs to be cleansed. Earlier we prayed that if, when we have not hallowed your name, where we have not made you Lord, we ask forgiveness. Work through us now, work in us now. Bring us to the place where you truly are Lord over all. In Jesus' name.